Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, good morning. Welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to get to spend some time with you. Those of you here in the room with me over and our East service or watching online, again, thanks for taking a little time and spending it with us. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying this sermon series called Come and See. Uh, for these last 10 scenes of the Gospel of Luke, slowing down, looking at each scene and asking what it has to teach us. One of the great things about Christianity is that the climax of our faith was last weekend, right? It was the weekend where we celebrated the crucifixion of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus. But one of the great things about Christianity is the story doesn't stop there. It doesn't go that way. It's not that you get to the gospels and Jesus raises from the dead and then they just go, the end. There are still more scenes for us to look at in the Gospel of Luke. And the reason for that is this very simple reason. The message of Christianity is that death is not the end. 
that death is only the beginning. It's a stepping into a whole new story, a whole new thing that God is doing. And so even though last week, as Pastor Joe said, was the best day of the year, the story keeps going. And so does our sermon series on these 10 scenes. And so if you have a Bible, I would love for you to take it out and open it up to Luke chapter 24 to grab your phone and open up your Bible app and scroll to Luke chapter 24 so that we can look at this particular scene in this particular story. But it is an amazing thing that Christianity says that the great part of our message is that when you die, your story isn't over. That Jesus proved that because when he died, his story wasn't over. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to celebrating that in particular on April 25th at our baptism service. Pastor Ken is going to give you more details about that later, but I wanted you to know that we already have 45 people signed up to be baptized on April 25th. Yeah, we should clap. If we're not going to clap for that, what are we going to clap for, right? That's amazing. And that's 45 people who are saying, because of Jesus, I've come to believe that I will one day die, but that is not the end of my story. That there is more that God has for me. It's going to be an amazing weekend. And if you're watching online and you've not yet come back to in-person services, just want you to circle that on the calendar, begin praying about whether or not that would be the weekend you'd come back, because you are not going to want to miss it. It's going to be amazing. But so is our time together looking at this story and losing. Luke chapter 24. So as you have your Bibles, I want to give you an outline just to use to make sense of our time together, kind of plot our course. So if you're a note taker, write these down. And if you're not, that's okay. Just kind of have them in your head to help us uh, plot our course. Three simple points. They go like this. God has a story. He wants you to know it and he wants you to be part of it. Okay. God has a story. He wants you to know it and he wants you to be part of it. All right. Let's start with this one. God has a story. Let me set the scene a little bit uh, for you. I know you just heard the passage read, but I want to make sure we zero in on what's happening. So in the Gospel of Luke so far, Jesus has risen from the dead, but no one has seen him. Okay, The way Luke tells the story, no one has yet seen Jesus. Now some women went to the tomb, we looked at this last week, and they met angels there, and the angels told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so rumors are beginning to circulate. A buzz is beginning to form around this idea of where is Jesus and has he in fact risen from the dead? But no one has seen him yet. And Luke goes from that to this kind of strange story about two guys walking on the road to a place called Emmaus. And these two guys, as they walk, are talking about the current events of the days. They're talking about Jesus and they're talking about his death and the rumors about his resurrection. They do not, however, believe that he has risen from the dead. And one of the ways you know that is because when Jesus appears and begins talking to them, it says that they were very sad. Okay, they're not optimistic. They're not happy. They're not upbeat. They're not excited. They're not, they're not abuzz with the latest news. They are sad. And so the very first appearance of Jesus to anyone after he rose from the dead, according to Luke's story, is to these two guys walking on a road, having a conversation. And when Jesus appears to them, he doesn't do what you think he might do, right? There are a lot of options at his disposal. He could go with the classic, you know, he could just kind of jump out of the bushes and go, surprise! 
you know, not dead. You know, he could, he could kind of do this. See, I'm alive. He could begin to glow and levitate. Always works, right? If you want to show someone you're alive and you're also the son of God, there are a lot of things that he could do, but he doesn't do any of those things. In fact, he doesn't even reveal that it's him. Instead, he asks them what they're talking about and they begin to relay to him everything that has been happening. And then he challenges them. He actually says to them, you you foolish guys, don't you know the story? Jesus's response to the very first people that he had ever appeared to since he had risen from the dead was to tell them, haven't you read the story? Don't you know that God is writing a story? And he begins to challenge them with that. In fact, taking out his Bible, taking out his Old Testament, the writer says that he, beginning with Moses and the prophets, that's like a really fancy way of saying the Old Testament. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and then the prophets who wrote the rest. Jesus takes out his Old Testament. I don't know if he had a paper copy or an iPhone or what, but he pulls it out and he says, haven't you read the story? Don't you know how the story goes? Jesus's response to them is to tell them that God has a story. And I want to unpack that for a minute with you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that is actually what the Bible claims to be. The story of what God is doing in human history. The Bible is not fundamentally a book of rules or principles or theological truisms. I mean, God could have given us a book in bullet point form if he had wanted to. He could have given us a a calendar-like book where every day you, you get a little saying from God, then you tear it off and go to the next day. But he didn't. Instead, what God gave us is a story. And Jesus begins at the book of Genesis and he walks through the entire Old Testament with them and he says, don't you see, God has been writing a story to you. That's what the Bible is. Now, what's interesting is that when we talk about God, we tend to say something more like this. God has a plan. Hey, God has a plan. God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. And and that's not wrong to say. If you say that, that's okay. That's not incorrect. But God having a plan is not as good as God having a story. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, You know, I have a lot of kids. Uh, I've lost count, but I think it was five last time I left the house. My oldest son, Deacon, just turned uh, 13. And so, you know, I have a teenager, which means uh, I know that I'm getting older. Not because he's 13, but because since he's been 13, he continues to tell me I am getting older, okay? And recently, to kind of memorialize his turning 13, we went on a guy's trip just this last week to Florida for a week together, just to spend some time and to celebrate his transition from, you know, kind of a kid to a, to a young man. It was a great trip. I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. I'm still kind of buzzing about it. But we did a lot of fun things on that trip. But one of the things we did is we watched all three Lord of the Rings movies. He had never seen them before. Now, let me let, let, let me let you in on something. I am not a Lord of the Rings purist, okay? I think the books are boring, okay? If you've ever tried to read them, they are mind-numbingly boring. By the way, someone at the 830 service snitched on me, and Pastor Joe texted me and said, great sermon, but if you say that again, you're fired. <laughs> but in the words of Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. Those books are boring, <laughs> okay? 
But I dig the movies. So, so we're watching the movies, and you know, uh, the characters in the movies, they have plans. You know, Gandalf, uh, Aragorn, Legolas, all those guys, they have plans. Now, notice I use the word S because they come up with one plan and then, you know, that plan kind of gets blown to smithereens. They work on another plan. And throughout the movie, all 57 hours of them, you know, they come up with a series of plans. Plans are what you come up with when you're responding to circumstances. But that is not the same thing as J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. He had a story. You see, when you come up with a plan, you're a character in the story and you say, oh, the bad guy did what? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you go here, you go there, we're going to do this. And you come up with a plan, you're responding. But when you're the author of a story, everything that happens is under your control. And when you're telling a story, sometimes bad things happen. That's, that's kind of how you build suspense. It's how you build climax. You get people to lean in. And, 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 but you're never, things are never out of your control. I, you know, I was thinking about this this week, that when, when the like, main characters of Lord of the Rings get together and they form a plan, that's all well and good for them. But for like elf number four on the wall in the battle, and two seconds into the battle, he's got an arrow in the middle of his head. Not so good for him, you know? What's the plan for him? But see, Tolkien is saying, I don't have a plan. I have a story to tell. Nothing is wasted. There's nothing happening that I'm not allowing, that I'm not introducing, that I'm not using to weave together this great big story. Let me, let me give you two another way in case you're not of the Lord of the Rings a fan. Let's just put it this way. Let's say that you're riding in the car with your friend and all of a sudden you hear the sounds of a flat tire. You know, you hear that thump, 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 thump. And you begin to pull over to the side of the road and you look at your friend and your friend looks at you and he says, don't worry, I have a plan. Okay, you'll take some comfort from that. That's good. Some plan is better than no plan. Now imagine you weren't with that friend, but they come into work on Monday morning and they say, listen, you'll never believe what happened to me. I have the best story. Okay, and you go, okay, okay. And they go, it all started with a flat tire. Totally different. Listen, when we say that God has a plan, I worry we're selling him short. God is not responding to the circumstances of our universe, formulating and tweaking and adjusting his strategy and response. All of human history is a canvas on which God is painting his incredible story, the story of redemption in and through Jesus Christ. It begins with the creation of our world. It climaxes in the work of Jesus. It is going on even now. This is one of the central claims of the Bible. Human history is not random. It's not meaningless. It's not capricious. It is an intentional woven story by an author who is God. Jesus says to these guys, don't you know God has a story? He's doing something. He's writing something. And what he's really saying is, have you read the Old Testament? There are a lot of parts in the story of the Old Testament where various characters feel sad like you do. And they feel as though God is lost. And they feel as though hope is gone. And they're always wrong. Because God is writing a story and it's a good story and it's a true story and it's a powerful story. Don't you know the story? Listen to me. This is why it's important that you read your Bible. 
Not so you can check off your moral religious duty, hey, I read the Bible today, but so that you can become acquainted with what God is doing in this world. God is not far from this world. He is living and present and active and involved in this world and writing a story. He doesn't just have a plan. He has a story. And it encapsulates encapsulates every single thing that has ever happened. And that's pretty great. But it's not as great as the second thing I want to tell you, which is this, that he wants you to know it. He wants you to know his story. See, when we talk about God, we tend to speak of him in these big kind of mysterious ways. It's like you you can be certain about some things, but not God. Now, when you speak about God, humility dictates that you say things like, well, you know, I think God is like this. I, I wonder if God is like that. To me, God is like that. I don't know, I'm not sure, but maybe God is like that. But listen, that is not the view of God that the Bible holds out to us. That is not the view of God that Jesus had. Look at what he says to them. He says, oh foolish ones, don't you know what God already told you? Don't you know how he's been telling you from Genesis all the way through the end of the Old Testament that someone would have to come? that that someone would be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, that he would do miracles, that he would be arrested and beaten and mocked and crucified, and that he would raise from the dead. Don't you know how the story goes? Listen, God is mysterious. If what you mean is all of God doesn't fit into our heads, well, that's true. You're not God and I'm not God. We'll never understand everything about God. But what God is doing in our world is anything but mysterious. He wrote a book about it. God wants you to know what he has done. He wants you to know what he is doing and he wants you to know what he will do. He's not hiding those things from you. Now, I want to draw a distinction here that's really important because I think we think about God as so big and so mysterious, he becomes basically meaningless. Listen, reading the Lord of the Rings books, which if you've done, you deserve a trophy, a medal, a parade. Good for you, okay? But when you read the Lord of the Rings books, you don't know very much about J.R.R. Tolkien, It's not as though you read the books and you put it down and go, wow, his favorite ice cream is strawberry. That's my favorite ice cream. By the way, if you know what his favorite flavor of ice cream is, you have a problem. (laughs) You don't know the names of his children. You don't know what he liked to do on holiday. You don't know what his favorite books to read are. There's a lot about him you don't know, but you do know every last detail, literally for him, every last detail of the story that he wants to tell you. It is true, you'll never know everything about God, ever, ever. He doesn't owe you that, and you're not God. You couldn't understand him if he told you. It'd be like that last scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You just melt. (laughs) But saying you can't know everything about God is not the same thing as saying you can't know in intimate detail what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. He's not hiding that from you. He wants to know. That's what Jesus says. Listen, Jesus doesn't say to them, guys, hello, it's me. 
He says to them, haven't you read the story? In other words, Jesus believes that the most convincing way to get through to them that God has a story is not to glow, but is to read the Bible to them. That's how powerful Jesus believes the Bible is. He says, guys, get out your Bible, make a circle, right? Pour some coffee and let's start talking. And he walks them through the story of what God has done. God wants you to know what he's up to. Not just in the past, by the way, because the Bible has a lot to say about what God is doing now and what God will do. God wants you to know what he's doing. Listen, a big part of being a Christian is saying it sounds humble to say, how could we ever know anything about God? But the answer to that question is, well, if he told us, and he has. Listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, how well do you know the story of God? Listen, here's what I believe. Many of the questions you have about God, many of the concerns that you have, many of the things you lay awake at night wrestling, he actually has answered for you. He has already shared his heart. Not knowing that is not the same thing as it not being available to you. Jesus says to them, you should have already known what would happen. Jesus is telling them you're acting like God doesn't want you to know, and he does. Friends, let me ask you a question. Is God so mysterious to you that he's meaningless? Because that is not the relationship that he wants with you. That's what Jesus says. That's what he does. Haven't you read the story? So have you. And listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to hear me say that this is one of the most radical claims about our faith. And that is that you actually can know what God is up to. You can know what he's done and and what he is doing and what he will do. And I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. Go stop at the Next Steps area. Tell them Zach sent you. Get a Bible. And start reading. Read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, and begin to read the story that God is writing in and through Jesus. You were made to know God. Not to wonder, not to guess, not to walk down the road with a friend discussing whose view is right and whose opinion is right, but to actually know what God is up to. God has a story. He wants you to know it. Those are good things, but here's an even better thing. Third point, he wants you to be part of it. He wants you to be part of it. What a weird thing, by the way. Can we say that about the Bible? What a weird thing for Luke to go from women at a tomb seeing angels and the angels saying, he's alive, and then to cut to two guys walking randomly down a road. If you were watching a movie and they did this, you'd be like, this is one of those artsy Oscar movies, isn't it? Right? How do we go from this big moment, he's alive, why do you look for the living among the dead, to two guys walking on a road? And... They're not even important guys, right? I mean, in the beginning, we don't even know who they are. And we don't know until one of them speaks. And his name is Cleopas, which is not the most exciting name in the world, I might say. Apologies to any Cleopases here in the room. Cleopi, whatever the plural of that is. It's not the most exciting name. And if you're thinking, I've never heard that name before, you're right. And you'll never hear it again. He's not important, right? So why do you go from, listen, you got to hear this. You got, I'm just telling you, you got to hear this. Why do you go from angels in a tomb saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? Oh, you know, to two guys walking on a road. Here's why. Here's why. 
Because most of us would say we identify with two random guys walking down the road being confused about God way more than we do with Peter. You see, Luke is showing us that the first move of Jesus post-resurrection was not to go look for the superstar Christian, the famous Christian, the author, the pastor, but just two regular dudes walking to some place called Emmaus. God cares that they don't miss what he's doing. God wants them to be part of the story. They're not random to God. They're not nameless, faceless guys to God. God loves Cleopas and you know, Cleopas' friend. He loves them and he wants them to be included. Luke says that God goes from big moment to regular moment because God cares about regular people. This story is here because God wants you to know that you matter to him just as much as any famous writer, speaker, pastor, podcaster, singer. You matter to him. You're not nameless. You're not faceless. Your story matters to him and he wants you to be part of his. That's why he appears to them. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that God includes a random, regular story like this because he knows if he jumps from angels in a tomb to Peter, you'll be missed. He doesn't want you to be missed. So he appears to these guys, but it's not just enough that he appears to them. They matter so much to him that when in their sad and confused state, even though he already wrote a story about it, he actually teaches a Bible study to them. What that must have been like. Wow, you seem to really know a lot about the Bible, right? Man, our usual teachers are losers compared to you, right? He cares enough to spend time with them. He cares enough to open the Bible with them. He cares enough to make sure they don't miss what he's doing. Do you know that's how much God cares about you? Right here, right now, God wants you to know he has a story. And God wants you to know that story and he wants you to be part of it. And they are so convinced of that, by the way, that when Jesus finally does reveal himself and then in pure Jesus fashion, right about the time they go, Jesus, he's gone, right? And then they say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? In other words, didn't you feel that? Didn't you know something special was happening? And doesn't that make you want to be a part of the story? That's what happens, by the way. They, these two unknown random guys, end up going to the disciples and saying to the disciples, you're never going to believe what happened. He is alive. They become part of the story. That's what God wants for you. Listen, you already experienced what it means to, to meet someone and have your heart burn and change your life. If you were single, if you're married here, you know that at one point when you were single, you thought being single was the best possible thing. My nine-year-old daughter told us this week, Sophie, she said, I don't want to, I'm never getting married, which I feel like is a little bit of a referendum on what she sees in her dad. You know, I'm never marrying a guy like that. And my wife said, well, Sophie, don't you want to have children? And she said, oh yeah, but there's probably a drink for that or something. So, <laughs> so we're really crushing this parenting thing, right? <laughs> if you want advice later, let me know, right? And you know, but at a certain point, you felt like being single was the best possible thing. The worst thing you could ever think of is inviting someone into your space and their opinions and their social calendar and their hobbies and their idiosyncrasies and their eccentries, right? All these things, like, ah, until you met a particular person. 
And then your heart began to burn. You began to say, you know what? My old story is not as good as the story I could have with this person. I remember holding my first child in my arms at the hospital and looking at them and my heart burning and me saying, oh, my story has changed. I, I used to think sleeping in was great. Now I'll never do it again. Let's do this four more times. Right? That's what it means to meet Jesus. To find in him this absolute truth that your life is not random, it's not meaningless, and you know what? It's not the, the center of the story. To find that God is writing this massive, epic story across the canvas of human history and that he wants you to be part of it. That he's so passionate about your being part of it that he sent his only son to live and die in your place and to raise from the dead when you begin to realize it is much better to be a small character in the story of God than the main character in the little story of your life. Have you met Jesus in that way? And friends, if you have, do you see that your life is now a part of this massive, adventurous, exciting story that is still going? You see, when you begin to believe this, you begin to see, like these guys did, that every little thing is not a normal, regular, natural thing. It's a divine appointment. When you go to the playground with another mom and she brings her kids and you bring yours, that's not just a regular calendar event. That's a divine appointment. When God opens your eyes to your coworker who is hiding their tears and you begin to engage them, that's not just empathy, that's a divine appointment. Your life begins to take on meaning because you are, you are more than your own life. You are a character in this massive story that God is writing and it's not over. It's not over, it's going even now. Like, let me just let you in on this little thing before I end. Did you know in Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the nations and, and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's why we're gonna do what we're gonna do on April 25th. He says, go to all the nations. In the original language, what he's actually saying is go to all the people groups of the earth. And then in Revelation chapter five, we're told that at the end of human history, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation in the throne room of God praising Jesus. In other words, God, because he wants us to know the story, says, hey, remember that really big mission I gave you? It's going to be a success. Did you know that right now there are about 1.8 billion people with no access to the gospel of Jesus? Do you know what that means? It means however long human history is left, it will not end before people from every one of those people groups come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, what are you chasing in your life that could rival that? God is still writing a big story. It's still an adventure. It's still really great. Still has some dark moments, still has some tough moments, but they never win. Do you want to be part of it? Because he wants that for you. Friends, a really big, mysterious God might make you sound humble, but it will never bring your life meaning. God wants you to know what he's up to and he wants you to be part of it. Let me pray for you. Father God, let's just begin by confessing that 
we are we we grow up in a culture that tells us life is about our own story it's about self fulfillment it's about self esteem about self actualizing to live the life we want to have the relationships we want the career we want the family we want the money we want the pleasures we want but that is so small and you want something so much bigger for us God, would you help us to see that? Would you do what this sermon cannot? Would you begin to make hearts burn? For the first time, would you call people to yourself? Or yet again, would you remind your people that we have this big story we're a part of? We shouldn't settle for small things. God, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and for wanting us to be part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.